Podcast, episode 20, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 5, episode 6, Exit Wounds. So, first and foremost, how did you feel about this week's episode of The 100? Um, I really did enjoy this week's episode, but I do think overall, for me, this was one of my least favorite episodes this season, but I say that also thinking that this season's had some of the best episodes of the show, so it's not that I didn't like this episode, I just feel like I have a little bit less to talk about than usual in this episode. I kind of agree. I feel like from a technical point of view, this was really strong, and and it's been strong for several episodes in a row. I think we've had a really great run so far this Mm -hmm. season. Um, but nothing about this episode particularly stood out to me in a like really remarkable way um, that I could like comment on forever. Yeah. Um, I, I think it is well written. I think it was really well executed. I, I don't have any like flaw. There are no flaws. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with this episode. It's just not one of my favorites. Um, Agreed. And it was a little bit unremarkable. I think it almost felt a little bit filler. Yeah. Which is weird because a lot of you know reveals happened but it just nothing really hit me hard in yeah this episode. I think like you know most episodes of the hundred there's no time for filler like yeah. it has to be plot driven and this there was a lot of reveals in this well episode. there's a lot of plot there's too a lot yeah. of plot this is not this doesn't feel filler but it still feels like connective tissue and that like we haven't really hit full speed into what this season is all about yeah like, we haven't gotten to like the action heavy part yet where this is all still like the preceding moments um I still have no idea where the season's going I mean I know how I think it's going to end but I don't really know the path we're gonna take to get there yeah well that's the best part about the hundred is like <laughs> really keep you on your toes that's true um before we dive into the recap I did want to just take a moment and remind you guys to please please um rate and review us on iTunes it helps other fans of the hundred to find us so please go take a moment right now do it I won't bother you about it again <laughs> today today <laughs> All right, let's dive into the recap. All right. Uh, So we open up with Clark looking over Octavia's wounds as Maddie watches, both grossed out and impressed. Clark tells Octavia that Maddie is a big fan of the story of the girl into the floor who saved the human race. When Octavia asks how Maddie survived six years of radiation, Clark lies and tells her that she gave Maddie her bone marrow and made her into a synthetic nightblood. I do really like that right off the bat, um, Octavia calls out the parallel between both of them being girls hidden under the floor. Mm -hmm. I do think it it makes a very stark contrast um, and really shows the difference between both Octavia and Maddie and how their sort of shared past experiences has shaped them in very different ways. And we see that contrast sort of continue on throughout the rest of this episode and it is right at the front and center and this is really what the crux of this episode is about yeah and of course I mean Octavia doesn't realize that this is a juxtaposition here because she doesn't yet know that Maddie was also literally the girl under the floor um but I mean it it is it's very clear why Maddie stands Octavia so much because she's everything that Maddie wants to be which is sad. <laughs> we know just from, you know, w- the way that this show works, this tr- kind of dramatic irony where we know something that is yet to be revealed to one of the essential characters. Yeah. It's going to come out by the end of the episode. So yeah. we automatically have this, like, tension um, in the first interaction in the first scene. 
the show never takes time to pause. It always just no. barrels straight just through. Like hit the ground running. Um, I, I and did, oh, go ahead. Uh, sorry, and we, and we do see Clark lie here and lie really poorly because it doesn't make any sense. Maddie couldn't have survived without being in Nightblood already. Yeah. Just in the time that it would have taken Clark to find her and bring her back, even if, you know, Maddie was right outside during the... Um, the radiation like Maddie wouldn't have survived a day no I completely agree and it's something that I stuck on but I hadn't really parsed out what it I stuck on um but that's exactly it that this is a very badly constructed lie and I expect much better lying skills from Clark yeah Clark's very much rusty right now yeah she is I was gonna ask you do we think that Octavia suspects something before Clark's lie or do we think that it's Clark's inability to lie in this moment that really um, raises Octavia's suspicions and starts her thinking in this path or is this something that you think she's already contemplating? Uh, I would say that Octavia I would before this episode I would have said Octavia is not smart enough to pick up on something like that at the end of this episode I don't think that is any longer true for me um, but no I, I honestly don't think Octavia has given Maddie like a second thought I think yeah. she's just like hasn't even noticed her in the background until Clark calls her out. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think this is like a classic case of, you know, of a literary trope where you the, you cause the very thing that you're preventing yeah. simply by acknowledging it. Mm-hmm. Um, and our poor hero, Clark, just steps right into this trap. It's really bad. It's really it's bad. Really and I mean, bad. with Clark lying so poorly, I think this definitely sets off Octavia's suspicions that will later be realized at the end of the episode so uh so cooper comes in and tells octavia that she needs to be with her people clark protests saying that octavia needs more time to rest but octavia is done licking her wounds before she leaves she goes over to maddie and they grab arms as octavia says from the ashes we will rise and of course we get clark really nervously watching this exchange like she's clearly not a fan of octavia being anywhere near maddie which Number one, you shouldn't have had Maddie in this room right now. I guess she wants to watch her. But if I were Clark, I would have kept Maddie far away from Octavia. Um, I mean, Clark is clearly very scared of what Octavia is capable of, and for good reason. Yeah. I would be. Yeah. Octavia scares the crap out of me. Um, I did also want to just note there are two more central conflicts um, also established, like, right out of the gate here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we have, like, three central plot driven um threads that are established in like the first minute of this episode which i just think is really a con- economic storytelling yeah um this first is obviously clark's paranoia is now you know set off in this way that it really makes her have tunnel vision for the rest of this episode and it also causes that to become like a detriment to herself um and the second one is that octavia is feeling really defensive about their most recent defeat in the sand and that also causes her to be like way more extreme with her subjects than I think she even would normally be Mm -hmm. um and those two sort of extreme behaviors sort of put everyone on this like collision course that is like inevitable by the end of the episode and it's just 
really interesting to watch how the writers manipulate and maneuver all of these characters in a way that provides for like compelling storytelling yeah I totally agree um and I also just wanted to note here before we move on that Cooper is still the worst TM yes every time she's on screen I'm just like Cooper leave you're the you're awful and I don't ever want to see you again she like makes my blood boil (laughs) she's worse than Riley I just oh (laughs) well she's not as flat as Riley was no, she's not. She's not as but like, she's insignificant just as terrible. <laughs> but she's the worst. Yeah. Capital T, capital W. T M. <laughs> Cooper, the worst. <laughs> or Kara, the worst Cooper. Uh, but and that will continue to be a theme in this episode. <laughs> yes, to be repeated. Um, but Maddie is thrilled by how much of a badass Octavia is, and she wishes they didn't have to lie to her. Clark is worried by Maddie's reluctance and tells her they have to lie to keep her safe. If the Grounders found out she's a Nightblood, they might try to replace Octavia with Maddie, and Clark doesn't want Maddie caught up in a power struggle. It's interesting to me that Maddie is still naive enough at this point to consider lying as an only negative thing. Like, she hasn't learned the art of politics yet Mm -hmm. um which I think is sweet and endearing but ultimately problematic for where they currently are I mean I think she's gonna have to grow and learn the like nuances of politics very quickly in order to survive here and I think for most of this episode Clark is trying to shield that innocence um but it only puts her in further line of danger Mm -hmm. that I think Clark is gonna have to reckon with before the end of the episode well, I think and not just you're right that Maddie doesn't understand the politics of this, but it's also just that Maddie doesn't understand the reality of the situation. Yeah. She still sees Octavia as the person that Clark told her that she was. And I don't think that Octavia was ever that person, but if she was, she certainly isn't that person now. Yeah. Um and, and Maddie still can't realize that because Octavia does put on this really badass front, not gonna lie. Um and I think keeping the truth away from her really is poor decision. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I always advocate for truth telling. Yeah. The truth is always the right move. <laughs> yes. Um, is Clark worried yet about what Octavia would do if she finds out? Because she doesn't mention it here. But I do think that she should. I, I really, like I just said, I, I think she needs to caution Maddie that Octavia is a little bit more unpredictable than even Clark would have imagined at this point. Yeah, again, I think, you know, in an effort to protect Maddie, she's actually endangering her by not letting her understand the true severity of the situation. Yeah. And it's it's going to blow up in her face. But, but do you think that Clark is worried about Octavia? Because she only mentions um, that the Grounders would try to replace Octavia. Like, she seems more worried about the religious connotation. Yeah, no, I think you're right. In this scene, I think actually what she's probably thinking about is Gaia. Yeah. Um, but we come to realize that Gaia isn't the biggest threat here after Which, all. Yeah. We'll get there Yeah, we'll later. get there. <laughs> Uh, Octavia and Cooper head outside the bunker. Octavia thought one crew needed to see her, but her people can barely look at her. Cooper tells her the word is spread of their defeat, and people are beginning to lose hope. Octavia says they faced worse odds before, but Cooper reminds her that they know the warning signs of rebellion. Cooper herself once rebelled when one crew was weak, and if they're not careful, it will happen again unless Octavia takes control. Uh, and again, we are reminded about these quote-unquote worse odds they faced that we know absolutely nothing about. Yes, this mystery event that took place. <laughs> worse odds. Is that what we're calling it these days? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I do think it's interesting um, that this is the first real sign of resistance that we've seen from one crew. I mean, we talked about their unwavering loyalty last episode when they were using their bodies as human shields for Octavia, which Mm -hmm. was, you know, devoted to the point of absurd. And we were wondering, like, where, what is the, what is the point at which they start to question their faith in Octavia and her leadership skills? And I think we are seeing that point. Um, right now yeah um and I like how quickly those two events are correlated like I'm I'm glad that they didn't like let it rest for an episode or two I like that it's like the immediate aftermath of that because that was a really extreme thing yeah. for them to have done and for her to use them like that um and how and the body losses that they they had I mean there's just so many losses I mean I didn't see them upset about the body loss or the 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 loss of people because let's be real they've lost like 400 people in the last six years I think it was more um the fact that they aren't able to push forward into this valley and Octavia herself was hurt and I think that they're just they don't have hope that they used to that Octavia can lead them there she's I mean like she is a god to them not to use like an Iron Man 2 quote but if you can make a god bleed he's no longer a god and Octavia it was proven last episode that Octavia is fallible is fallible Mm -hmm. I mean she is human after all um and has weak spots and I think that there was no variables in the bunker to allow for room of dissension yeah and now that we're above ground there are so many more variables in the air there's just like we knew that her control was not never going to last um and we're seeing that start right now yeah they were in a controlled environment before there was only so many options they had available but now the world is their oyster no pun intended but i mean (laughs) the pearl is shallow valley (laughs) Um, I also just wanted to note, I'm really curious, I think we've talked about this before, but I want to find out what happened to turn Cooper from that woman who rebelled against Octavia to the one who is her right hand. Like, I need that connecting tissue that I haven't gotten yet. And I know that's like part of the overall mystery of this season is what happened in the bunker. And I love that. But I would like, I would like a little bit more context. I, I, I hope it doesn't. But I guess it has to all kind of center around that dark year episode. Yeah. Um, I guess if there was a longer season, we could kind of delve into that more. But there's no real room to do more than one flashback episode. So I, I guess everything happened in the dark year. Yeah, I think <laughs> um, like the jury is still out on that. And we'll see how satisfying that all flushes out. I hope it is. I think that's the, the episode where... Um, Jason Rothenberg mentioned that they like used more blood than they've ever used on the show before. Um, (laughs) So I guess that makes sense if you're eating people, but, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I am anxiously awaiting that episode. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Bellamy and Echo find Octavia and Octavia is furious that Echo's there. Octavia or Echo thinks Octavia for saving her people, but Octavia says that as Geta is gone, there is only one crew, and there's no place in it for Echo. Bellamy pleads Echo's case, saying that she proved herself dozens of times on the ring, but Octavia won't hear of it. She announces to the rest of one crew that she banished Echo before, and her ruling still stands. Echo has 24 hours to leave, or else she fights in the arena. Um, so this whole episode really is ridiculous to me that 
Bellamy expects Octavia to just let what Echo did to her go, even though it took Bellamy himself three years to forgive Echo. I agree. I think it's ridiculous. I I cannot understand Bellamy's mentality that this was going to be fine. Yeah. Seems particularly obtuse of him. And what's weird is the story seems to be on Bellamy's side. Yeah. Um, I will say that I have forgiven Echo, but I also understand that it takes time to forgive someone and Octavia's had zero amount of time. Like it's, it would be ridiculous if she had just forgiven her right off the bat. Yeah. And I mean, psychologically speaking, like this is also the worst moment to be asking Octavia for a favor. Like she's, she's already feeling like she's losing control. There's absolutely no way she's going to budge on anything, particularly like her first degree as Blood Reina, or really as the leader of one crew, she wasn't yet Blood Reina yet, was banishing Echo. So I, I mean, read the room, Bellamy. Read the room. <laughs> I do have to wonder, Bellamy just seems particularly surprised by everything Octavia does, even more so than I think he should be. Um, I, I have to wonder if he kind of told himself stories about Octavia in the same way that Clark was telling Maddie stories um, that kind of turned Octavia into someone that she's never been in his head. Yeah, like he's romanticized Yeah. I, I, I just, I'm very confused about his confusion about Octavia. Yeah. We'll talk about this later, yeah. I think. Their relationship is so frustrating because they love each other so deeply, but they have such a hard time really seeing one another. Um, and I think that this episode, like so many that have preceded it, is just another example of that. Um, but my patience is growing thin. Yeah. Um, tolerating. We're at season five of the same storyline between I'm, Bellamy and Octavia. You know, well, again, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but I, I need something to change in this dynamic yeah. or I'm going to get really angry. Um, I do also just want to note really quickly in this scene, I, I thought that, you know, I thought that this last pronouncement that Octavia made, you know, for Echo to have 24 hours or like go into the arena was fair I thought so too I thought it was very level-headed compromise um I mean she could have declared her to go into the arena right now now. (laughs) Uh, and also let's be honest like Echo would have won she totally would win really she was just like giving her an out I don't know I felt like Bellamy was being a little ungrateful (laughs) (laughs) well as we see Bellamy chases after Octavia screaming that the awful things Echo did was six years ago and that Echo won't survive if she is exiled Octavia ignores him, but then they hear that the dropship is approaching. Everyone starts running, expecting the ship to start dropping bombs. Octavia tells Bellamy to get in the bunker, but he won't go without Echo. Uh, Bellamy, first and foremost, is really testing Octavia by calling her out in front of her people again. Yeah, boy, gotta stop doing that. I mean, we just saw last episode that she basically threatened to kill him if he did it again. Um, And he's yet again doing it again. He's, He's panicking about Echo. Let's just like chalk it up to that. Um, and I also do see a glimmer of Bellamy's sister in there somewhere when Bellamy, uh, or when Octavia tells Bellamy to get in the bunker. Oh yeah. She's There's, genuinely concerned about him. There is a kernel of, re- of something, uh, warm inside of her that isn't dead yet. It just needs to be rekindled or I hope that it can be rekindled. That was the second moment. The first moment being the end of last episode when Octavia waves at at Monty Monty. and the second moment being her telling him this here that I think, okay, there's still something left in her to save, to bring back 
um, because this person that she is isn't going to survive in this world. Yeah. Like story-wise, she's going to have to die or she's going to have to change. change. Um, and I, I still am teetering between which one will actually happen. Um, yeah, I would say this moment in this episode, I, I would be, I'm teetering. I think by the end of this episode where we land with her, I'm very concerned. I've been concerned I mean, that I'm, she'll die. I have been concerned, but I'm more concerned now. I'm weirdly less concerned now, and okay. especially given that Indra's influence was removed in this episode because she was um, recovering in, in the med bay. Um, I, I think that Octavia needs Indra's level-headedness to really make great decisions, and I think that that removed um, kind of brought out her more vicious side this episode. Um, but seeing several moments when Octavia kind of capitulates to Bellamy um, in different ways, shapes and forms about Echo um, is really interesting to me. Yes. I like, she kept giving chances um, even though she doesn't seem like the kind of person who would give chances. So I, I just, I see something there that can be rescued. But that said, I am very concerned I, about... <laughs> I also do, too. I'm not denying that that exists. I think this show, this episode, has made it very clear that there is a part of her that can be saved, that can be redeemed. Um, but I think that it hinges on a choice. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if they're going to give her or I don't know if they're going to let her choose to, to save herself I the I, writers or like the writers okay um because I, I you know you have to choose that for yourself and I'm not sure if she will that's true Octavia is very like ride or die about her her way of uh her point of view and yeah. and I could I could see her like even realizing this is a bad idea but I can't turn back now kind yeah. of thing um I guess we'll see we're like what halfway through the season now yeah. almost halfway halfway um so but this is the one episode that made me think maybe she won't die weirdly enough since this was like a very scary episode for her but I guess yeah I guess we'll catch up with that later uh instead of bombs the ship starts dropping packages of food as well as a message from Dioza she knows they're tired hungry and weary of Octavia's rule and so she's giving them a choice abandon one crew and join Dioza's people in the valley as Echo realizes Dioza is recruiting this is just such a genius plan. I give Dioza massive props, as always, for being brilliant. And it just, like, proves yet again how – what a great tactical thinker she is. Um, you know, she's created a situation that is basically, like, a no-win for Octavia. Yeah. You know, she's put her in a box where no matter what Octavia does, she comes off worse. Mm -hmm. um, and that just takes a brilliant strategist to be able to maneuver that. So – Agreed. You go. I do think that, not that Octavia would have done this, but I feel like Octavia could have, like, gathered her people and said, you can defect if you want to, but you know our power, and if you defect, you are the enemy, and when we take down Dioza, we'll take you down too. Yeah, there was, like, a, a logical, level-headed way to message this defection consequence to her people. And she took the aggressive, um, illogical. <laughs> right. I think method. she's 
relying in this episode a lot on fear. And as we talked about um, in episode two or maybe later, um, when we first meet her again after the six years, her people love her and worship her. Um, They're also afraid of her, but there is that love that's there. Um, And she's kind of, I think beginning to lose some of that love and instead of kind of going after the love angle she goes after the fear angle and I always feel like fear is never as powerful as love and getting people to do what you want yeah I mean and we've seen Octavia say herself that love is weakness it makes sense that she wouldn't recognize that as a strength yeah um and that she would rely on fear but it proves yet again that she's infallible I mean we're fallible yeah sorry fallible yes um she has weak spots yeah and she needs advisors who compliment her in the sense of like you know giving her advice and speaking to power that she may not want to hear which makes it even more confusing why she would keep Cooper around who is just like an literal echo of herself it's we'll get there well I think she (laughs) likes hearing that that dark side of herself um I, I I totally understand why she keeps Cooper around I'm just more concerned about Indra not being around yeah. when Cooper is around. Yeah, we need a balance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Octavia burns the food, and Dioza and Kane watch this from the drone footage. Kane notes that it's theater. Octavia wants them to think she's still in control. But Dioza isn't totally convinced, saying that Octavia might still be in control and that Kane might not be as useful as Abby. Kane tenses, but she tells him to relax, as fostering dissent is like seduction. It takes time. I loved this description. Um, it's such a clever metaphor and I love the way that I'm going to butcher her name. Ivana Milovich. I have no idea. (laughs) Ivanka, wasn't it? No, I think it's Ivana. I really have no Um, idea. Anyway, Ivana, who plays Dioza, um, delivers this. It is a perfect delivery and I, it's, this is just a brilliant, brilliant line. And I think everything about Dioza screams that she is great at seduction in all fronts. (laughs) (laughs) I think she's just so level-headed and so smooth I, I I mean like I'm ready to be seduced by her whatever it, whatever it takes I think we have been seduced by oh her. for sure I, I mean, mean like that's why we love her right. so much I mean from the get-go she has been such a fascinating and enchanting character to watch I mean mm-hmm. we're rooting for her and she's technically the bad guy I mean that is that is some some feat to pull off well again what's interesting is she's an antagonist I don't feel like there is a bad guy in this except maybe McCreary <laughs> well. and like some of the other prisoners but like Dioza is an antagonist she's not a bad guy but Octavia is also an antagonist and isn't necessarily a bad guy like they're it's just about like whose side you're on again as the totally. show I always mean, that's is the show's mo yeah and I didn't mean bad guys I, I just meant like techni- I feel like technical big bad of the season is but like I feel like we've compared her to um Dante. Dante. Yeah. But with Dante, they were at least doing something that we could, like, clearly say is bad. Yeah. Whereas Dioza, like, I get where she's coming from. I I don't know that I would do something different in her shoes. Um, I mean, like, like, Clark is the one who started this war. Clark is the one who killed them first. Oh, no. I mean, I think the difference really is, like, the active versus inactive. And we were actively watching Dante do something that we disagree with. For Dioza, we only know of her past crimes. We haven't witnessed them. We don't know anything about them. We just have to take their word for it that she was charged Scary. of criminal yeah. activity and that, you know, Terrorism. she did them. She was the most you wanted know, we person. We don't know if she was framed or not, but, we, you know, we can get there later. 
but I do think that it's that sort of like the the only proof of we have of her behavior right now is is things that we relate to and that um makes sense for us so that's that's why she's so intriguing yeah because she's painted in a bad guy brush but she's acting like a good guy well plus she's so intriguing because she's clark well that too (laughs) and clark is my favorite so Uh, McCreary and some of the other prisoners are on the lookout for Murphy's collar signal to resurface as it's gone offline. Suddenly, men come in and start moving tables in the church because Dioza says they need a place to house the defectors. McCreary just wants to blow up the rest of one crew, but Dioza asks him how the Allegis crew is supposed to survive without farmers and engineers and the like. Yeah, I really like how we see Dioza parrot the same argument that Kane used on her last week. In this episode, um, it just shows how much that she has come to respect him and how much she actually listens to him. I think their dynamic is super interesting, and we saw a little bit of it last episode, and I like this continuation into this episode as well. Yeah, and I mean, this whole conversation is really fascinating to me because it's basically Dioza telling all of her people just how useless they are to her and her survival and their survival. Um, And I get the point because it's true, but I also think it can't really win her many favors among them and doesn't. No. <laughs> yeah, she's she's not making many friends. Well, she's making one friend, Kane. Kane. She's losing many. And, and does she care? Yeah, that's an interesting question. She doesn't seem to care. Well, we can talk about it. Let's get into this later. I think we have more to talk about this um, down the line. Do we in this episode? Oh, just in this scene. I gotcha. Um, Kane also reminds McCreary that as it stands, a ton of them are expected to die of a mystery virus. And at that, McCreary pulls a gun on him. Dioza tells him to stand down as Abby won't cure him if he kills Kane. McCreary notes that they think that they're dividing one crew's forces, but Kane's really the one dividing Allegius. But Dioza steps in front of the gun, shielding Kane. Yeah, so again, this is something we've been talking about for several episodes. We knew that, like one crew, um, the Allegius crew would also have a division of sorts um and again things are starting to fracture and splinter here as we predicted they would um so we can clearly see the lines being drawn um and what that means for future episodes yeah i you know this scene is i i loved every moment of it i should say um but it also has made me a little bit worried about Allegius. <laughs> if that makes that was not coherent at all. But I'm I'm worried about what Allegius is going to do when they inevitably turn on Dioza. Yeah, and I think she, like you were saying, she's not doing herself any favors because you know she has warmed up to Kane and made a connection with him. I think she sees him as an equal intellectually, and I think she's been really missing that companionship. I mean, it's been clear as McCreary notes later. You know, she's a visionary yeah um and i i think even if they're not conscious of it the allegiance crew and particularly mccreary is aware how little respect she has for them um and how her alliances have are already shifting towards these more level-headed normal people capable people (laughs) normal people who aren't criminals um or mass murderers um, you know, even in her body language, like she just she gets up, she puts herself in front of Kane in taking, you know, the brunt of the gun right in front of her face. I mean, 
I'm not sure that she really is aware. I mean, I know she she sees that as like a as a statement, um, but I'm not sure she understands just what that means emotionally and what that means to the signal that it is making for the Allegis crew. I think that that is seriously problematic. That statement. Yeah, and it's going to come back and bite her in the butt. Oh, for sure. McCreary thought Dioza wanted to win the war, but Dioza tells him that the greatest victory is one that requires no battle, a Sun Tzu quote. As McCreary lowers his gun, Dioza tells the gathered prisoners that they have everything they need to, to defeat one crew, and the only, only thing that can defeat Allegius is themselves. McCreary says that it must be hard being a visionary surrounded by people who can't see, to which Dioza quips is the story of her life. Yeah, I just loved this scene, and particularly this piece of dialogue, so much. I... I almost fell out of my chair. I I love this Sun Tzu quote. I think it's genius to deploy it in this scene as she is having this sort of battle of wits against McCreary and sort of wins this confrontation or wins this war without it ever coming to a boiling point or a, a real confrontation. I think this is super meta and it's also just <laughs> an, an amazing performance to watch. This is just you know, mind-blowing stuff for me. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. <laughs> I also can't get over the idea of Dioza, like, definitely being the kind of person to read Sun Tzu. Like, she just goes and meditates in her little garden, like, reads Sun Tzu. Like, this is the kind of person that she is, mm-hmm. and I love this person. Yeah, this is great characterization. Yeah. It makes so much sense. I think it says so much about her by saying so little. Like, in that one quote, I mean, we, we, we really could know everything there is to know about her um even though we know we have greater context outside of that but just like that one quote in and of itself i think really sums up who dioza is yeah it like perfectly encapsulates her because she's shown over and over again that she only fights if it's necessary yes um and i i really like that about her i do too it's really admirable um there is a little bit of foreshadowing in this scene, obviously, <laughs> because she says the only people who can defeat them is themselves. Oh, yeah. Duh. They're going to defeat themselves. They are going to implode. To be fair, though, I think one crew is also going to defeat themselves. So <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's the most interesting thing, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, they're both going to war, quote-unquote, with each other, and meanwhile, they're fighting a war internally yeah. on both sides, um, and they are both going to crumble. Um, and we did see this last quote uh, in the trailer, and I loved it then. Um, but when Dioza says a story of my life about her being a visionary surrounded by people who can't see, I just really love what that says about her her backstory. It just it holds a lot of weight. Um, and And the thought that she considers herself a visionary in some sense, like even though it was a comeback to McCreary, I think that it really was kind of real for her yeah um I I just what was she a visionary of what was her vision I just I need an essential part to like fully complete my picture of Dioza you know in the bunker Octavia is holding a meeting with her lieutenants they realize that Kane is the one who must have told Dioza where one crew is vulnerable Cooper says that people might take Dioza up on her offer as dissent spreads like a virus and at that Octavia orders patrols to kill anyone who tries to defect I feel like we've already talked about this but I just it bears repeating that I find Cooper so annoying she is like a buzzing (laughs) fly and I just don't understand why Octavia doesn't find her as annoying as I do because, again, she's reinforcing Octavia's worst side. Octavia likes that reinforcement. I know she does. I just 
I know. So She's annoying. the worst. TM. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so annoyed by her. Um, also, before Kane defied Octavia in the arena, was Octavia not worried about dissent? Like, was she blind to dissent that was happening? Or were people really that loyal when they were all still trapped in the bunker? And now I that there's, like, so many more va- variables, like you said, um, now people are kind of realizing they have other choices. Yeah, I think... I think they were really that loyal. Yeah. I think we saw their loyalty last episode, and this is really, like, the first sign of resistance, which is insane. Yeah. Sucks. <laughs> For her. <laughs> Clerk comes in, followed by Bellamy, Monty, and Harper. Bellamy wants to stop wasting time worrying about defectors and start trying to find a way back to the valley. When Octavia notes that Dioza is watching them, Monty says that he should be able to figure out a way to hack into the cameras and blind them. Octavia tells Monty to get on that, but in the meantime, she orders Cooper to shoot anyone who tries to leave. Again, we see Miller deny Clark access. He's just such a little punk. Yeah, he's changed. I am real tired of your attitude, Miller. <laughs> like, get yourself in shape. Where's and Jackson? He does seem to take it as, like, a personal affront every time Clark wants to, like, get in on a yeah. meeting. I mean, I, there is a part of me that may, maybe it's just, like, a really small, like, pettiness on Miller's part that he's, like, in control now. When That's Clark, what I was thinking, Clark too. Was always in yeah. charge, and he has this, like, weird power. Um like as a gatekeeper but I like it's so petty that like that can't be right well we've also (laughs) never seen that in his character before like there was never any resentment about power he naturally fell behind other people um so I just cannot figure out what the deal is he has so much attitude yeah toward Clark specifically it's not Bellamy or anyone else it's toward Clark I don't know I I mean I maybe he just like identifies her as like the clearest threat yeah which she is challenge to octavia which she is he's not wrong yeah but octavia i mean uh, clark hasn't tried for power in any way so he needs to just back the f down um i also thought it was interesting i mean i think you and i had different interpretations of this scene but the way that i read it was that octavia let clark in almost as like a nod to clark's help last episode and that she's like finally sees her as like a, a, a value or is it like an asset in a way that she never really appreciated Clark before um but I you have a different interpretation right I do slightly I do feel like there is like I feel like she, Clark got in because Octavia has earned or has gained respect for her but I I didn't see it as like I didn't see it as reverent I saw it as like annoyed but like okay fine Clark come in like, of course, it's always Clark who's barging in on meetings. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, what Clark did for Octavia at least earned her an audience. Yeah, okay. Whereas it might not have been the same before. Um, yeah. But I think it can go either way. Yeah. I'm curious to know more about what she thinks about Clark. Um, I think that we'll definitely get more between them in later episodes, just judging by the end of this episode. I just don't know which direction it's going to go. True. Very true. Uh, so why does Yoza consider Abby a traitor? Is it because she left? Or sorry, what does Octavia consider Abby a traitor? Um, is it because she left with Yoza, or is it because she took Kane? I think it's both. I I think it's mostly to do with Kane, to be honest. Um, I also think Octavia suspects Abby is the one who really stole the medicine. Um, she would have to. She she's not dumb. No. So <laughs> I think like she really feels like Abby is the one who committed the crime, and then compounded by the fact that she let Kane take the blame for it and then also left with him and it was a 
triple betrayal because she left to go join Dioza. So on like many levels, I think she has like completely written Abby off. To be fair, I don't think Abby had any choice but to go with Dioza. Um, but I do wonder if Abby's connection with Kane right now and then Kane being the one behind this power struggle that is now yeah. ensuing has pissed off Octavia even more toward Abby oh, sure because there was like there was an extra level level of vitriol I think when it when she um told Clark like we're not going after that traitor your mom yeah. um that I didn't feel from her before but I could yeah. be wrong no I think you're right I think you're definitely right also, what is Harper's function? Oh we God. need to talk about Harper. I can't. There actually. was one and only line that she had in this episode, and it was about Monty. Yeah. I, she. We have regressed. We have regressed. I mean, like, I thought, given her scenes in the first couple episodes this season, that we would get more of Harper on her own in this in this season. But it's becoming very clear, again, that Harper's only function is to back up Monty. And it's insanely frustrating i don't understand why she's there it's also infantilizing for monty yeah like let him be let him stand up for on his own he is a fully capable young man he's very intelligent um he doesn't need your help i mean this is like from a character point of view like they've written him in a way that he stands on his own two feet and he doesn't need this extra support I mean, I see that, but I'm much more annoyed about Harper and on, like I'm, I'm much more angry on her behalf. Yes, yes, this is like as a all character the same issue. We've again seen, you know, the hundred does amazing things with characterization in very few episodes, and, and Harper has been here for five seasons. They also do it for characters that we've known for five seconds, like the and like not important characters, side characters tertiary characters that we're only going to spend five minutes with forever Mm -hmm. never to be seen again (laughs) and she just doesn't get the same treatment I don't understand they clearly don't enjoy writing for her so I'm not sure why they haven't written her off the show or they don't know what to do with her like Harper has had some great moments I think you know she was tortured um in season two and she was stood up to Bellamy in season three. Like, there, there's been things that she's done that I think would lend to her kind of coming into her own more as a character. And yet the writing hasn't allowed her to do that. Yeah. It's like they keep pushing her down when she's trying to come up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I take issue with the entire thing. Yeah. It is a huge problem. Um, before we move on, I did want to just call out Bellamy's shock um when he discovers octavia's priorities lie with shooting the defectors over saving their her people from starvation i mean this is perfectly in line with her character at this point but obviously as we've been talking about bellamy has romanticized her to the point of being shocked and you know uh, um, appalled appalled (laughs) at every turn and every decision that she makes um and i just i know I know that they've grown apart. I mean, and the show is clearly pointing to to how how much that they've grown apart. But I, I just I'm very tired of this, and I need it to be resolved. Like yeah, now. Luckily, I do think we are heading toward a resolve. I mean, we've um, been saying that for like three episodes now. But I mean, like I mean, this season. I don't mean like next episode. I'm ready for it to be this episode. Well, I don't like, think it will be. I think that that is going to be the season conflicts. I think. 
we've seen and that what's annoying is we've seen them fighting like every season but this season I think it, it feels like it's really coming to a head um at One least I have to hope. hope yeah Bellamy and Clark leave and Bellamy shares his growing worries about Octavia not being the sister he remembered but Clark seeing Maddie with Gaia cuts him off and goes to join them Gaia tells Clark that Maddie encountered the enemy and that maybe she could train with the novitiates and explain their tactics but Clark says that Maddie is not one crew when Gaia asks how Maddie survived Maddie tells her that Clark made her a nightblood and Gaia notes this with interest I don't know about you, but when I saw Maddie walking with Gaia, my blood chilled. Oh, yeah. My, like, stomach dropped. It was like, stay away from her. Yeah. It was physical. I had a physical reaction. Yeah. I have the same question for you that I did with Octavia, which is, do you think that Gaia already suspected that Maddie was a nightblood, or do you think that Clark's inability to lie, or very poor, poorly constructed lie, is what tipped her off? I very much think Gaia already suspected that Maddie was a nightblood. Yes. And I think Maddie kind of jumping in and being like oh Clark made me a nightblood I think just confirmed um what she already suspected because Maddie's also not a great liar um no. and it just it doesn't make any sense the only thing that makes sense is for her to have been a nightblood yeah. so I think Gaia kind of approached Maddie to feel her out mm -hmm. um because she's already feeling like this might be what you know the the, com the spirits of the commanders sending uh, were sending me yeah. as a way to move forward yeah. And Clark, you know, just in general, you really need to like work on your poker face. It's gone. <laughs> it's totally gone. She used to have such a great one. Yeah. And now she's just like her emotions are all over the place. Oh, yeah. She's she's like everywhere. She's <laughs> spastic. <laughs> Octavia and Cooper are sparring. And when Octavia notes that Cooper is going easy on her, Bellamy appears and says that she should fight someone she's not afraid or he's blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Bellamy appears and says she should fight someone who's not afraid of her. Octavia tells Cooper to give him her sword, and Cooper says that it's his funeral. Uh, and I have to ask, Bellamy, since when are you not afraid of your sister? I asked, was asking myself, like, are you referring to yourself, yeah. sir? Like, who, who are you talking about? I was like, get Clark. <laughs> and even that's not true Even anymore. then now, yeah. Yeah, no. Maybe Indra is maybe the only one. That's true. I think Indra is totally fine with saying what she feels and not worrying about the repercussions. Yes, I would agree with that. And again, even when sparring, Cooper is a giant sycophant. Like, she, <laughs> she's just taking it easy on her. I, I'm done. Well, I, I mean, I think sycophant, yes, but I think Bellamy has it right. I think Cooper is afraid of her and afraid of, like, what she would do if Cooper beat her, you know? That's Octavia true. doesn't like to lose. That's so. very true. It's a very good point. Bellamy and Octavia spar, and as they fight, Bellamy tells her that if Echo leaves, he's going with her. Bellamy tries to convince Octavia that Echo is not the enemy, but Octavia rattles off her crimes. At that, Bellamy takes her down and tells her that they've all done unforgivable things for their people, and Echo is now his people. He's asking for Octavia to try to understand what Echo is now, the same as he's trying to understand who Octavia is now. This is the aspect of 2.0 Bellamy, or Bellamy 2.0 that I love. I love that he's calm. I love his, you know, what you would, I guess, call wisdom. I I really, really appreciate that at this point he has finally moved past the guilt that used to burden him so heavily. Um, and he doesn't allow Octavia to use it against him or Echo. I, I think it really shows how much he's evolved. And I really applaud that character growth. 
That's interesting. I mean, like, I, I agree that I liked what he said here, but I also feel like, and I don't want to dredge up old issues from, like, season three. I don't consider Bellamy forgiven for what he's done. I, I think, you know, he did what he did. They've all done horrible things. I think what he did was quite possibly the most horrible thing. The most egregious. The most egregious. But I also think in this world that they have set up that, like, putting him in prison would be useless you know like killing him would be useless because he still has a lot of good to offer um that can help them survive so i do not consider bellamy forgiven i i should say i i also don't really consider echo forgiven i i probably i mentioned it earlier that i did i guess i i've moved past it yes and it, i think that's what i mean when i say that he's evolved because there was a point in which his guilt was crippling yeah and it it was it it in it um disabled him from making informed and mature decisions and it really held him back from his potential and I don't see that anymore I feel like he's finally moved past that guilt and and accepted it and put it in a place and perspective where he can acknowledge it and again it will never be forgotten or forgiven but at least it's in a perspective where he can, like, function. I agree. I just took issue with the fact that he said, we've all done things, something along the lines of, we've all done things that should be unforgivable, but we're forgiven. You're not forgiven, but you are, I I, I have, like, put it behind me. Yeah. I would like I you to move forward. Saying. I guess that's fair. So I just, I hope he doesn't consider himself forgiven because I, I would much rather him consider himself, like looking at um, all of the cheesy uh, superhero movies about like people who've done bad things but are now superheroes. They're like, I can't be forgiven for the horrible things that I've done. I just have to like keep moving past and working toward making things better. But I still can't ever be forgiven for it. Are you talking about Daredevil? I'm actually talking, actually it's a good one. I was talking about Angel from Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you're describing Daredevil. That is Daredevil. One, two, and upcoming three but i despise daredevil <laughs> so do i for that particular reason um but no i, I think that that's a like a fair thing to think if you've you know committed yeah, genocide no. I, I don't want him to i don't think that he forgives himself i think that he's talking about others forgiving him. okay i think that's I fair think that is a very subtle difference but i still like i see what he's saying but i still think it's crazy to ask Octavia to just move past what Echo's done reminded me Echo killed Ilian. I loved Ilian. I really liked Gina I couldn't love her because she was only there for like I two mean, episodes if you think about where we started and why I was in such an uproar about him getting with Echo was for all of these reasons but like on a logical and I, like I totally agree and I do wish they hadn't gone there but I also understand why they did we're not gonna we're open not that, I, that but um I, I just I feel like I understood that Bellamy had had six years to come to this, whereas Octavia has not had six years. And it's kind of frustrating to me that he's treating Octavia like, you know, remiss for not seeing the new person that Echo is, because it's like, did you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, he might be just be asking her to get over it. We don't have time for this. Um, they're just doing it with swords. 
Yeah, I guess we should move on because we're like we beating a dead we're, horse we're now. But um, I, I, I just in this scene too, I wish that he were fighting Octavia on his own behalf instead of on someone else's because he always was able to stand up to Octavia for other people, but he has never been able to stand up to Octavia for himself. I completely agree with and this. And that is something that I really want to see this season. I honestly don't know if we're going to see it. I felt like this was a, I felt like this was a very cathartic moment between them, but it ultimately wasn't satisfying for me exactly because of what you're saying and that he was defending someone else and not himself and the real central conflict between the two of them is their relationship mm-hmm. that needs to be resolved and I mean, you can dance around it all you want, but there is an underlying issue here that neither of you are addressing or acknowledging and that's the conversation that I want to see happen. Yeah, what I really want is for this exact scene to have happened like two episodes ago when Octavia was like, oh my god, it's all your your fault fault. again. I would like him to just take her out right there. I would like him to sword fight and for him to like flip her on her back. Say, stop blaming me for your own faults. Impotence. (laughs) So annoying. Um, But I do think it's interesting that Given everything that we've just said, he still did manage to get through to Octavia a bit here. We see it in her eyes as he leaves. She really is considering what he just said. Yeah, I think it was the threat of him leaving with Echo that really motivated her and really got through to her. Yeah. Um, I don't think she took him seriously before. I agree. Um, and as it turns out, Bellamy with a sword is now my new sexuality. So that is all of our new sexuality. I didn't realize how much I needed this. Yes, it was like little flippy <laughs> yeah. with a sword. It was, it was beautiful. <laughs> Echo is packing and tells Bellamy he's not coming with her. Bellamy says that they survived together, all of them, but Echo refuses to let them all die for her. Plus, his sister needs him to help beat an enemy that's already pulling one crew apart. And at that, Octavia comes in, revealing that she'd been outside listening. Um, so was Octavia just, like, lurking outside, waiting for the moment to strike? <laughs> Maybe. She came in at a very opportune moment. Yes. I don't know if that was just, like, a writing trick or what. I'd... But I do wonder um, if Echo maybe kind of earned herself some points that she was advocating for Bellamy to stay. Yeah, I think she did. I, I think, hope so. I think she there was some leniency towards Echo in later parts of this episode that I think can be credited to this moment yeah um but was I the only one that like openly scoffed when Echo was like Octavia needs you Bellamy I was like (laughs) I don't give a rat's ass if she needs you she doesn't first of all she doesn't and second of all like who gives a shit what Octavia needs we have like I'm done capitulating to Octavia Octavia is toxic to Bellamy you know whether or not Octavia is a good leader for her people is a different question but Octavia and Bellamy together are just not good for each yeah, other. and it's irritating that Echo doesn't see that. I think she does. I just think she believes that Bellamy's even-headedness and, and Octavia's clear emotions toward him, even even now, uh, will in some way sway Octavia to a better outcome. That's but, true. And I'm not sure I disagree with that. I also don't know if I agree with that. Yeah. No, I'm just like, I don't care what Octavia needs at this point. 
Octavia asked Seko what she would do about Dioza, and Echo said that she'd surrender. Only a fool fights a war they can't win. But Octavia has a better idea. Echo should spy for her, tell her who's trying to defect. If no one goes for the ship, Dioza will think one crew is still unified and will lose faith in Kane. Bellamy asks what would happen to the people who Echo turned in, and Octavia doesn't answer, just tells Echo to bring Octavia their names before they defect, and she'll lift her banishment. Yeah. Oh, Bellamy. Oh, Bellamy. I do love Octavia's line, only a fool fights an enemy they can't win. You know, I say it all the time, but Echo's past as a spy and an operative, and as an operative um, has given her so many useful skills, and I love watching her bring the, that specific skill set um, to this group, and she's so useful and valuable yeah. and smart, and it's just really refreshing to watch that, and I love her. And actually, I think this is another pretty fair offer from Octavia. And this is one that the old Echo definitely would have jumped at. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. we And this is another great moment of character growth where we see what the old Echo would have done versus what the new and improved Echo mm-hmm. chooses to do now, um, which is like the more morally conscious thing to do. Yeah. Um, and I, I have to just remind everybody that this is the second time that we've seen Octavia present a fair opportunity to Echo in this episode. So, again, you know, this is complicated. Yeah. Lines are drawn, but they're blurry. And I do think all of these um, fair deals to Echo is on Bellamy's behalf. I agree. Imori and Murphy are hiding in a cave as Imori tries to open Murphy's collar. Imori accidentally zaps herself in Murphy, and Murphy is not thrilled, (laughs) and she notes that she can do this, but she needs better tools and gloves from Becca's capsule. Murphy notes that Allegius will be able to track him down as soon as they leave the cave, so they'd better move fast. Again, I know I've said this a lot, but these guys have so much chemistry. I mean, you can just see what good actors they are like their dialogue and their interactions feel so organic that even when they're like barely speaking they're just grunting at each other and like (laughs) angry and there's just like these like reaction you know like shut up or like you know that it feels real this is like a real relationship with real people and it's it's such a good performance yeah uh I really liked that Amore you can tell is so worried about the others and clearly upset that she can't do anything to help them. And so she channels those feelings of uselessness into her ability to get the collar off Murphy. It's kind of like, I have to do this as like the only way I can help other people. Yeah. You know, if I can do this one thing. Yeah. I can, I can be useful. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also interesting kind of conversely of that, that Murphy is still feeling completely useless, especially with this collar around his neck. He's like kind of stuck and is also equally taking out his frustration on Amori, you know, who clearly has a lot to say <laughs> about their relationship, but she's not ready to engage. Not right now. There's too much going on and yeah. she can't be vulnerable, <laughs> but she will. She will. <laughs> McCreary is in the middle of a poker game when he suddenly gets a signal that Murphy's back on the board. He sets on his cards and goes to find Murphy. Um, so this was a scene that both Britt and I noticed they zoomed in oddly on the cards. Um, we were both kind of like, oh, we have to look that up later. And then <laughs> but, <I> didn't. <laughs> but luckily, Selena Wilkin did look it up or already knew it. I'm not really sure. Um, but she pointed out that this is actually, he has the dead man's hand, which was the hand that Wild Bill Hickok was holding when he got murdered in Deadwood. Um, the hand is two aces and two eights. But the fifth card of uh, Hickok's hand wasn't known for, sh- for sure. But we see here, McCreary's fifth card was the king of diamonds. So... 
Any guesses what that means, or does it have any meaning? I looked this up after you told me about it, um, and historically speaking, the King of Diamonds has um, represented a man who excels in leadership and looks for adventure, um, and you know is a, is the king. And there's like a lot of weird, you know, sort of mystical. Uh, representations of this but I think the the two main takeaways is that it's a person who is looking towards leadership or is trying to um hold a position of power um and is also super adventurous so I do think those two things are very applicable to our dear McCreary yeah I can see that I didn't look it up because I forgot but (laughs) we were like doing our notes and she was like you should look it up and I was like yeah I don't want to sound like an idiot so I looked it up I feel like I keep wanting to think like diamonds and how um it interacts with like mining and um caves and explosives I was like trying to make a connection there this is exactly the way that you and I think differently (laughs) I'm like what is the deeper meaning and you're like let's look outward (laughs) what are the connections that I can make here uh, um, but in any case, he's almost dead, but not quite. <laughs> he's going to die. He's, he's almost, almost going to die, but not quite. Not quite. Yet. At Polis, two One crew members, Tariq and Karina, find Echo. They reveal that they're Shallow Valley crew and ask Echo to come with them when they defect. Echo warns them that Octavia will kill them if she catches them, but they say that living with what they've done to survive is worse, and this is their chance to start again cannibalism cannibalism but but like all like jokes aside i do think it's cannibalism but also is it just cannibalism because like that sucks and it's gross but like is that something that they couldn't live with or is it like we actually had to murder people to eat them yes i see where you're coming from i think you're equivocating because (laughs) honestly eating people eating people you know whether you were forced into it from starvation or not is real bad that's true, but, like, what if they were already dead? No. Could you get past that? I feel like I could get past that. Okay, well, I'm worried for you. It would be real gross. I'm, like, I would always think about it and probably, like, vomit a little bit in my mouth. But, like, I could still live with myself after that. I think you're, that. like, not considering, like, the trauma leading up to this. I mean, we are assuming this happened in, like, the dark year when things were very bad and very scary. Well, that's what I'm saying is, like, yes, I'm sure it's cannibalism, but... Like, what else happened besides the cannibalism that, like, makes them all feel like they've done things they can't ever take back? I think it's back? the cannibalism. I mean, maybe you're right. I don't think it gets any worse than cannibalism. We're very different people. <laughs> I, I really do think I could, like, get past cannibalism if it was just, Please like... eat me first. Kill me first. I don't want to eat you. No, that's what I'm saying. I wouldn't want to kill you. That's what I'm wondering. Did they have to, like, actively kill people? Like, cull the population in that way to survive? Or Yeah, I think it's like a Donner Party situation. But Donner Party just ate the people who died. Yeah, but they had to, like, tag them so that people didn't eat their own family members. Like, that's what I'm saying. They know each other. Yeah, they know each other, but I don't know. Even if they're dead, they still know them. (laughs) You're not going to be eating, like, your leg of your dad and feel like, oh, yeah, this is fine. 
only this show would make us discuss the degrees of cannibalism. <laughs> I don't feel like there is a degree. If anyone I is th- asking about the degree, it's you. I am very flat. <laughs> I feel like there's a degree. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the show disagrees with me. I, I don't know. We'll find out. I feel like this is pretty straightforward. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, it's also weird that they assumed that Echo would just be trustworthy. Yeah, I thought that was like a shortcut. Like a writing shortcut. I'm fine with it, but yeah, like it, it was, was a just cheat. It was a cheat, but it's okay. Um, I also, I've definitely thought about Shallow Valley Grounders before in this season, but I kind of forgot about it. So it was kind of a shock again to see people who actually lived in Shallow Valley who were from there, um, because obviously, like they would want to go home. Like out of everybody, this fight probably feels most personal to them. Yeah, because this is true. where they're from. Uh, maybe one of them even lived in the hippie village. I don't know. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they all lived in that hippie village. Well, it might not have had all of them. Oh it God. was a, you know, I'm sure a lot of it got burned. I don't know. Moving on. Monty's having a hard time getting inside Allegius's systems, and he doesn't even understand why they're doing this. Is it just so Bellamy's sister can go to war? What happened to them being good guys? Bellamy says they are good guys, but Monty is not okay with killing people for thinking about defecting. Bellamy notes that Raven, Murphy, and Amori are still in the valley, and this is how they get them back. Monty has always been the gang's moral compass, um, and I was hoping that he would be the one to question this situation, you know, with like a morality check, and he didn't disappoint me, and I am really glad that he was the one who stood up and was like, let's just take stock of the situation, and before we jump into this, really evaluate what we want to be doing and contributing to this mess. I mean, what kind of feels a little hypocritical to me is Bellamy is so quick to abandon his morals of, like, Clark didn't die so we could go back to the ground and make the same mistakes, like, as soon as he gets down to the ground and, like, a few of his people are in danger. Yeah. Like, he, I think, believes he's changed and he, I mean, he definitely has changed. He's, like, a different person. Um, But he, he still kind of reverts as soon as he gets back into danger that like these are my people I have to protect them and it's shocking to me how small his people are now yeah as we'll get to a little bit later Clark isn't included in that yeah no it's really I mean it's a shrunken crew like when he's talking to Echo about defecting um it's Harper and Monty that will go yeah, with no, him he's not referring Clark to- the sky crew. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how small his their numbers are. Yeah. And who, who he feels is truly in their, like, family group. Um, I do think deep down Bellamy does agree with Monty. I just think that he can't really engage with Monty about this without acknowledging the real crisis of the situation, which is that Octavia is dangerous and slightly crazy. And I just don't think that he's ready to go there yet. And I, I think it's easier for him to point to the necessity of rescuing his friends rather than acknowledging that they can't really um condone octavia's methods anymore and that she's off the the deep end yep um and it's time for like a little real talk moment i can't remember if i've said this in the podcast before i feel like i have but i am having a really hard time Uh, feeling the same connection with Bellamy that I used to have. Um, I honestly don't really love Bellamy 2.0. I just don't. I, I, I like find him annoying and weirdly naive. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I want that to get better. And the one hope that I do have is that Bob Morley 
has said that he was very confused about Bellamy's direction in the first half of the season, but that as the second half progresses, it becomes much clearer what the writers wanted to do with him. Um, so I'm really hoping that the second half of the season will give me some context as to like who the hell Bellamy is right now and what they're trying to do with him. Because as it stands, I feel like he's changed for the worse. I actually agree with you. And I feel like I was really upset at the beginning of this season about him and Echo. Um, And as the season has progressed, I have become less and less upset. And I attribute a lot of that to the fact that he doesn't feel like the Bellamy I knew. It doesn't feel like, you know, to, to take this to an extreme that I really don't want people to jump down my throat about. He's not cheating on Clark. Um, not that that would be cheating or any, no, there's anything but, wrong with that. Um, but it doesn't even feel like it's the same Bellamy. Yeah. And so this version of Bellamy, who's with Echo, feels right. It feels um, acceptable. Um, and I, I do think that a lot of that has to do with the way that they're writing him and how, how much he's changed and how different he is. And I haven't decided yet if I think it's for better or for worse but there has been a significant change and I do miss old Bellamy a lot. I just I prefer Bellamy when he's more emotional I don't know if that's because Bob Morley is so great at showing that emotion Mm -hmm. but he just always like grabs your heart and holds on or at least he was in previous seasons but in this season I just I don't know every time he comes on screen I like don't care if he's there or not that sounds terrible because I love Bellamy. Well, it does it does sound <laughs> terrible, but I have to say that like on the same note, I am finding Clark's panic mode and like inability to lie and the fact that she is constantly putting her foot in it, especially this episode, very frustrating for me. Oh, that's so interesting. I am like really it's really pissing me off how emotional she is. I, I miss think, them. <laughs> I think I love her even more this season. I love seeing those emotions from her I love her relationship with Maddie um and I love that in some ways love is weakness for her um in really interesting ways I I don't know I just Clark this season I am fascinated by and I enjoy every damn second that she's on the screen and I would die for her in seasons one through four but like somehow I'm even more invested in her now. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like my investment in either of them um, sort of is dependent on their current behavior. I just love them both so dearly that I will never let them go. I um, totally agree. It's just my love for Bellamy, I feel like, is the love for who he used to be, not as much as the love for who he is right now. I'm just, I feel like we're in like a holding pattern and I'm waiting for them to return um, to the way things used to be in their dynamic. I'm not sure if they will. I don't think you can ever really go back, but I hope that we find a place where things sort of balance out a little more. Yeah, I'd be happier. But again, and we'll get to this very soon, um, but Clark and Bellamy have a lot of things to work out. And I, I need Clark and Bellamy to kind of merge together in the way that I think Clark, as much as I love her now, I think she really does need to get back some yeah, of the gain some control the control that she used to have in the same way that Bellamy needs to access his emotions again yeah I need them back yeah that's kind of what I've been saying yeah as I I think they they're both not in a in the best place for themselves where they shine yeah and I want them to shine again. I do too I believe that by the end of the season oh I do too we'll I'm have not, come back to that I'm not worried I think this whole season's about re-establishing figure, yeah their reestablishing connection. the connection yeah 
I agree. Echo comes in, dejected, and says that there are people who plan to defect, but she's not turning them in. She notes that some bad things happened in the bunker that no one will talk about, even the ones who want to leave. She knows that means she'll be banished, but she won't turn them in. At that, Bellamy decides they should defect with them, so he can get inside the ship and open a back door in Allegius's, Allegius's systems at the source. And I think this is the moment for me that I truly feel like Echo has changed like she's really she really wants to atone for the things that she's done um and I, I i love this moment here because it's such a strong contrast with who she used to be and and this and the the way that she used to live um and this it just i i, I love i love her for this I you agree. know i feel exactly the same way this was perfect and, and I, also, I oh sorry. go ahead oh i just like wanted to jump in and say i i feel like echo we talk about Harper not having a storyline outside of Bellamy or outside of a Monty, but I feel like people have been accusing Echo for the same thing in this season. And I think oh, we even mentioned yeah. that um, Bellamy, like we worried that Echo would just be Bellamy's girlfriend, but this episode specifically makes it very clear that Echo's having, she's on her own path this season. And it's a path that she has to decide who she wants to be now that she's kind of like back in the real world. Um, and that is a path that I am very eager to follow me too I am all for it I mean I liked them together in this episode and I'm looking forward to watching Echo shine yeah for lack of a better word next episode on her own I'm very excited about it I also just wanted to call out this like rare moment of humor from Bellamy where he's like admittedly it's not a perfect plan (laughs) I was like I didn't know you could be funny (laughs) (laughs) are any of Bellamy's plans ever perfect no. It's usually just the old, the old Bellamy would just be like, you go, I'll follow and shoot. Yeah. <laughs> I'll cover you. That's why I loved him. <laughs> but yeah. It wasn't a planner. It wasn't a planner. And I loved that. Nyla wakes Clark up asking if she's been avoiding her. Clark apologizes saying that everything is so different, but Nyla shows her a panther carving and notes that not everything is so different. She thanks Clark for saving their lives again, but Clark says that was Bellamy. Clark herself was ready to go to war to protect Maddie. Nyla is glad they both found new families, and when Clark asks if she's happy here, Nyla admits that it's hard, but they survived because of Octavia. I'm really curious who Nyla's quote-unquote new family is. I mean, is she just referring to, like, all of one crew, or is she actually talking about someone specifically? I, as much as I would love her to be talking about Octavia, I really do think she has found her place in one crew, and as we kind of see in the rest of this episode, that she has a very strong loyalty to one crew. Um, So I do think that's kind of what she means by new family. Yeah, I don't know. But it does leave room to wonder. But speaking of Nyla and Octavia, I found it fascinating that Nyla compares Bloodrena to the sun. Like, how do you explain the sun to someone who's never seen it? Because that kind of phrasing right there would usually denote something like beautiful and wonderful that someone's never experienced. Light. Light. Like literal Literal, light. Literal light. And it's interesting because this is literally the darkest Octavia we've ever seen. Um, So for Nyla to compare Octavia to the sun, it really does lead me down a romantic direction. <laughs> romantic or like completely um, like fanatical. I mean, like, yeah. she's drinking the she's entire bottle. She's drank all the Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> There's not one drop left. Um, I also thought that it was weird that Clark asked if Nyla was happy. I mean, it's just such a weird 
question in this situation. Like, can anyone be happy? Is anyone happy here? <laughs> like, why, why is that what you're asking? I just thought it was strange. Um, also, a tiny note. Is this carving something we've seen before? Because I have absolutely no memory I of it. I do find it really weird that you and I have this job where it's our business to know these, like, tiny details. And neither one of us recognized well, this. I will say neither one of us has rewatched season three because... You know, reasons. it was a traumatic season <laughs> yeah. in the fandom. And it's, like, kind of hard to go back and yeah. revisit it. <laughs> so I, I think, like, maybe it was it was in season three when um she had sex with Nyla in the beginning, you know? Yeah. No, I'm, maybe. Not, I'm not denying that this was a thing. I just think it's funny that you and I don't remember it. Yeah. I mean, so many other things have happened. It, it Like, they just looked at this carving as if it were something, like, like, really, significant. like really significant that, you know, Nyla carries around all the time or what. <laughs> or was bringing to her as, yeah. like, a way of softening her up and, like, getting her to be nostalgic. Which, I, I mean, I obviously know that it's calling back to Clark taking down that panther. Right. Um, but I just don't know if, like, we're supposed to have seen this carving before or yeah. if this is just like, oh, remember when you did this? I carved it for you. <laughs> no, I think the carving is important. I just don't remember it. Yeah. Clark asks Nyla about the flame, and Nyla tells her that the time of the commanders is over. Nyla asks Clark, asks Clark if it's true that she made Maddie in Nightblood, and when Clark says yes, Nyla notes that she can still tell when Clark's lying. They hear a noise outside, and when Clark and Nyla go to investigate, Nyla gets chloroformed by Gaia, who tells Clark that she's protecting the last true Nightblood. Why would Clark bring up the flame in the first place? Why? Why? What are you doing? I mean, the only reason I can think is, out of everyone, Nyla has always been someone that Clark could confide in, um, maybe aside from Bellamy, and I don't think she's quite realized yet how different I feel Nyla like is. I that comment about the sun should have been a clue that Clark would have picked up on in the old days. I'm just saying. I think Clark is also just so desperate that it's making her dumb. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. exactly what I'm saying, is that her emotions are clouding her judgment. Yeah. Uh, also interesting, Nyla is just as perceptive as she used to be, but now there's this slyness to her that was never there before. Slick. Yeah. Yeah. Which is upsetting. You know, I, I, I talked so much about how much I miss Nyla and how much I love Nyla, and I do, but this is a different Nyla. Yeah. I mean, like, we knew that six years was a long time and that people would change. I just don't know if I really understood, understood <laughs> the ramifications of what that meant. I mean, we have been – we've spent a significant time um, this episode talking about in all the ways that these characters have changed. Um, but the one thing that I like, you know, with Nyla having changed is I firmly believe that we'll get backstory on that. Yeah. Whereas some other characters, like Bellamy – I just think we're meant to kind of take it at face value. Um, I don't think we'll really get any flashbacks, nor do I really want flashbacks of it. No. But with Nyla, I am like actively excited to learn more about what happened in the bunker and what made her become the person that she is. Excited right and nervous. <laughs> As Gaia drags Nyla away, Clark asks Gaia whose side she's on, if she's Flamekeeper or One Crew. Gaia says that although Bloodrena saved her life, she can't just forget her faith. Clark is not going to let Gaia kill her friend, but Gaia tells her that Nyla is not her friend, that Nyla believes that you're one crew or you're the enemy. If Clark wants to protect Maddie, this is the only way. So my thought, which again, ties very deeply into Octavia. Do we think Octavia sent Nyla on this mission, or is this something that Nyla kind of took on on her own? 
I think Octavia sent her. I do too. I have like a, a headcanon after the love is weakness line. I think that Octavia and Nyla are like together in some way, shape or form, or at least sleeping together. And that I think Octavia still confides in Nyla in certain ways. Um, I think that Octavia knows that Nyla and Clark used to be close and Octavia's spidey senses are ting tingling a little bit after Clark kind of lied really poorly at the beginning of the episode. And I think she might've sent Nyla to kind of Suss ferret out, out the, the situation. Yeah. I have to agree with that assessment as well. Especially given Gaia's um, insistence that Nyla's not her friend. Yes. Yes. She seems to be have some information that yeah. leads her to believe that Nyla is on a very different side or a different path. Mm -hmm. I did have a general question about Gaia's faith. I think it's super fascinating that they, that she constructed this new faith um, for one crew. I mean, almost single-handedly using remnants of her, of their old faith. Um, and now, and I mean, she's been their religious leader and their spiritual guide um, and yet at the first sign of their old religion, she reverts, she snaps back, um, almost immediately. It's just a really interest. I mean, she is a fascinating character and I love thinking about her and the way she thinks about religion and her faith and the way that dogma is not always faith and the way that spirituality is is something that comes from within and is not something that you can prescribe to. I mean, it's just like such a, it's just fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that Gaia, when we first met her in episode two, when we first like saw her again in episode two this season, um, she was kind of in the, the wavelength of, you know, my religion is set. It can't be changed. And as we saw in that episode, I think she becomes a lot more flexible about what her religion is. But I think deep down, the same tenants still apply for her. I think she was just kind of making do with what she had at the time. Yeah. Um, whether or not I agree with it or not is a totally separate question, but, right. well, but I mean, it's but definitely, it, it's interesting that she like demands that every member of one crew prescribe to this new religion, like completely without question. Mm -hmm. And yet she herself isn't as devoted to it as she would have others believe. Well, and I also wonder, too, maybe she was as devoted to it until the bunker opened and new possibilities arised. And Maddie came. And Maddie came. Like, I think maybe she thought the spirits of the commanders are leading me in this one crew direction. I will follow. But then when presented with other options, she realized, oh, they're providing for me again, you know? Yeah. But I'm, I'm really interested to see where Gaia goes for the rest of this season because mm -hmm. she's already going in a different direction than I assumed. Yeah. Clark says that Maddie's not a threat to Octavia, that she's just a child. But Gaia says that she's a nightblood child who appeared two days after they literally rose from the ashes. Gaia doesn't, doesn't think that was a coincidence and Octavia won't see it that way either. At that, Clark pulls a knife on, on Gaia and tells her that she won't let her force the flame on Maddie. Gaia is appalled, protesting that she would never do that and that she's not the one Clark should be afraid of. Nyla starts to wake and Clark lets Gaia go. 
So aside from being a religious figure, Gaia is also a politician. And I think she she knows the optics alone of having Maddie reappear now is too much of a threat for Octavia to allow it. I mean, regardless if Gaia herself believes that this is fate or not, I think she just knows from like a tactical point of view, the optics on this aren't great. <laughs> um, and the threat alone is enough to make Octavia do something aggressive and rash. Mm-hmm. I did think it was interesting. You know, Clark is definitely not a religious person, whether she's spiritual or not, that kind of remains to be seen. Um, But it was interesting that when Gaia was like, this isn't a coincidence, Clark didn't argue with her. Because, of course, Clark is coming at it from, I've been with Maddie for six years. The only reason you got out of the bunker is because I helped you open the bunker. Like, it's, it's not a coincidence. It's just the way it is. Like, it wasn't like a sign from the gods, you know? Yeah. Um, and the fact that she, like, doesn't try to, like, explain that further, I thought was I interesting. Mean, I think she still considers Gaia a fanatic at this point, And, like, trying to talk someone out of their faith doesn't get you very far. Well, that's true. Um, I think Clark just doesn't want to – you can't apply reason to faith. I mean, those, or logic to faith. Those two things don't mix. That's um, true. So I think Clark's just kind of like, that aside – Let's focus on the problem at hand. I did want to call out what a giant um, epic plot twist this scene <laughs> was. I just, this was shocking and I, I absolutely love it. And I applaud the writers for pulling the wool over our eyes this entire season. They have set up Gaia and Nyla both um, for us to believe them each as one thing. You know, Nyla as the soft version of her and the the forgiving, the sweet, compassionate, empathetic woman that we know her as and Gaia is this fanatical diehard staunchly quite possibly villainous right (laughs) um, manipulative political machine that we've seen and yet in this amazing scene um they have switched we see Gaia is is appalled at the idea of of Clark uh, of Clark accusing her of you know forcing Maddie to do anything um, and really proving that she's a friend and protector of Maddie. Um, and Nyla is is the manipulative snake in the grass that we just did not see coming. And I just, it was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I never thought Gaia was manipulative in season four. But in this season, I've really been looking at her as like she could be one of the bigger villains of this season. And to have the rug kind of pulled out from under me so quickly here, yeah. um, to see that... You know, I, I was most worried about what Gaia would do to Maddie um, yeah. and, and like the ways that Gaia would manipulate Maddie. I mean, I think they put that scene in here in the beginning of this episode as a way of really solidifying our fear of that in order to make this twist even sharper. And so like seeing that Gaia would go as far as to kill someone to keep Maddie's secret safe is really just a different direction for her. And I'm now feeling much more comfortable with Gaia kind of being on our side. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm thrilled with this development. Because yeah. Gaia, is, Gaia is brilliant. Like, if you if, if there's anyone you want, you want on your side, it's I her. I want Gaia on my side. And she not can, just because she's stunning. Well, she's, I mean, her hair is so I, like, great. She looks like a goddess. I, <laughs> I, like, understand a little bit why she believes in faith. If I looked like that, I would also believe in the gods. <laughs> like. But um, I... I I just think that she's so good at manipulating a crowd, as we've seen, 
and that you know, I think that's what Clark needs right now is just people on her side protecting Maddie. I with agree. Her. I, it. I was so worried about Maddie, and I still am. But so having worried. Gaia on our side is a is a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very happy about this development. Nyla asks Clark what happened, and Clark tells her someone tried to attack her and asks why one of her own people would do that. Nyla just says that these are dangerous times. When Clark asks about Maddie, Nyla says that she's sorry, but a true nightblood could tear one crew apart. Clark asks for Nyla to give her till morning to tell Octavia herself, and Nyla says that Octavia will show mercy if Clark tells the truth. At least she hopes she will. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just constantly like who is this person and what have you done with Nyla I mean like the fact that she's willing to turn in an innocent child to Octavia God knows what she'll do I mean it's just shocking character revelation um and I really really want to know how she became this person I agree um I am fascinated that Clark here chose kind of knowing what happened to Nyla and why it happened she chose to ask Nyla why would one of your people do this to you as like kind of a way to ferret information out of her? Yeah. And what's even more fascinating is that it wasn't shocking to Nyla that someone would do this to her. No. She was like, oh, these are just dangerous times. Like there is like Nyla clearly has some sort of enemy in the bunker. Um, and I don't know like how intense that enemy is. Maybe it's just her connection with Octavia that people distrust or maybe it's, you know, I, I, I really don't know. Um, but she clearly isn't beloved by everyone. No, and she was prepared for that eventuality. Yeah. It wasn't surprising. Also, Nyla does see that one crew is not as strong as Octavia seems to think. Like, she kind of immediately recognizes that, like, a true Nightblood is going to destroy one crew. Like, that's all it's going to take <laughs> to yeah. destroy one crew. <laughs> yeah, we're hanging on by a thread. Yeah. Imori accidentally shocks Murphy again when she's working on his collar in the shuttle. Murphy thinks she's doing it on purpose, but Amori doesn't enjoy seeing him suffer. Murphy then asks why she left him, but Amori did it because he broke her heart by pushing her away. Murphy reveals that it was because he was jealous that, he, that she had found a role when he hadn't. Amori says that when they were on the ring, she found the family and purpose she didn't know she needed, and he punished her for it. And after a moment, Murphy asks how much fuel is in the rocket, and Amori realizes he's forming a plan. So this confession from Amori um, that she realized that she needed to be part of something is so crucial for so many reasons. And also just personally for me, I felt this in my bones. Um, it's not just for her own personal character growth, which was amazing. Um, it's just a testament to like humanity. You know, we're meant to live in groups. We're, we're meant to be social. And I think the world is very isolating it can be very isolating and recognizing what you need and what that you need other people is a hard thing to admit um but it is an important thing to recognize in yourself and I just I love having this representation in tv I think it's important I think it's an amazing opportunity for Amori as a character and I just love the way that all of this is working and I think this is amazing yeah I saw someone else I can't remember who it was definitely people have pointed out that they're annoyed that Amori doesn't get called out the same as Harper does for like not having more to do besides their boyfriends. I think that they're wildly wrong. I think I that found, is ridiculous. I found Amori's character from like day one, the first day we met her, to have so much depth outside of a relationship. And I just, that continues even now in many different ways. Like her character has gone through the ringer. Um, and I love every second of following her. I 
feel like the reason why they have one of the strongest ships on the show is because they are both so independent and operate on their own paths and have their own emotional arcs. And they're both so flawed in different ways. Right, and they're so compatible, but it's because they are both so well fleshly drawn out mm-hmm. that it works so well. I mean, it's it's not an, inst- an instance where one character is fully fleshed out, like I was saying with Monty, and the other one isn't, yeah. like with Harper. Yeah. Um, they work well together, and they're so compelling to us because they are both fully individualized. Um, so, no, I do not agree with that, and I take issue with it. Um, jumping off that, like, I ship Memori as much as the next person. I, I love Memori. Ship it hardcore. I ship it hardcore, but... Putting this in real world context, never stay with someone who makes you feel guilty for having a life outside of them. Or for pursuing something that makes you happy. Happy. Like, that's really abusive and controlling. And I'm I'm very glad that Amori got out of that relationship because it was toxic to her. Totally. Um, and, you know, Murphy... Murphy has a lot of growing to do before I think he is ready to to recommit to Amori fully and, and to kind of dedicate himself to, like, her happiness. Um, oh, yeah. In a way that he's not been able to before. I do very much believe that they will get back together. But he has a lot of work to do. She honestly still has some work to do to, like, get herself ready um, to be in a committed relationship as well. Um, I I just think that they have a lot before they can come back together. But I do think that they will come back together. I agree. And jumping off of that, I think it's important to note that, you know, Murphy has been alone and abused for so long I think he genuinely believed that if Omori outgrew her need of him, that she would dump him. Like, I think that this was, like, a classic case of, like, of of anticipating a hurt and doing something to prevent it um, beforehand. And I think that he he was punishing her, but it was it was a defensive tactic in order to protect himself. And I think he's going to need to grow out of that. If oh, yeah. If they're ever going to have a chance to be together again. Um, it's I, it's a really interesting uh, combination of, of, of past trauma <laughs> that is at work in both of them. Yeah. I, I definitely understand where Murphy is coming from and doing what he did and acting how he acted. Not acceptable. But it's not acceptable behavior. Not acceptable. Um, so hopefully... And you deserve to get dumped. Yeah. But hopefully, again, they can both kind of become stronger people apart and then be a better couple together. Agree. In the throne room, Octavia asks Echo which name she has, but Echo won't turn people in for Octavia to execute them. Bellamy then tells her that Monty can hack Allegius with inside help, and he holds up a drive with the program that will give Monty access to Allegius's cameras. Octavia won't let Bellamy commit suicide on a mission. Dioza knows him and would know that he's, you know, not actually defecting. But Echo says that she has the perfect cover, and all Octavia has to do is let her go. Octavia allows it, but tells her that if she fails, no one will come to save her. Lies. Bellamy would go after her in a heartbeat. Like, like the whole family would. They're, yeah, they're a unit that's now. That's just bullshit (laughs) but I mean I think she's saying what she wants to believe (laughs) Octavia wants to believe that they would stay with her instead of going with Echo but she's wrong (laughs) um I really think it's interesting that Octavia both scorns Echo for being a spy and then when Echo doesn't want to act the spy she scorns her for having changed (laughs) yeah this is a no win Um, yeah she just doesn't like Echo which again, Echo to try to kill her, yeah. so it's fair. But yeah. I do want to also call out Echo's conviction here. I think it 
points to what you were talking about earlier and how much she has changed you know that she's willing to stand up in front of Octavia and say I'm not doing this thing even though you've given me a way to you know um come back into the the group and stay with Bellamy um but I also have to applaud her for her adaptability you know the second that she sees Octavia kind of pulling their plan apart she's like well this is the perfect I have the perfect cover and I think you know again her her past skills are coming to into play here and she's just a badass she is badass Monty gives Echo a bracelet that hides the drive and then hugs her goodbye and leaves Bellamy is clearly worried and goes over the plan again but Echo makes him stop and look at her she tells him that they they found each other in a cage and whatever happens she knows they'll find each other again and then they have hot goodbye sex (laughs) so I want to say for the record I know that I've been very down on this ship, guys, but I very much enjoyed this scene. I've enjoyed all of the Becco stuff this entire episode, and I thought the scene was beautiful. I thought their sex scene was great. I thought that their chemistry was great. I thought the way it was shot was beautiful and lovely. Um, And again, I, I really do attribute this to the way that they've written Bellamy as like a completely separate character, and it feels separate in my mind. Um, And I just, I think that they did a great job. I agree. I really enjoyed the scene as well, but I still don't know where they're going with the Becco Becho relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, they removed the, when I say they, the writers or the editors removed Bellamy's line um, earlier when he and Octavia are fighting. Bellamy was originally in the script supposed to say that I love her, referring to Echo, um, but they took that out. And yet here, Echo is kind of talking as if they're meant to be together and they'll find each other again. So I'm. I'm not really sure where the writers have this relationship going. It's very confusing to me. I I like their dynamic in this episode, and I kind of wish we would have seen more of it in previous episodes. Yeah. Because again, this just feels a little out of place. Like I, I just didn't I didn't feel that same passion and connection yeah, earlier. There is a lack of continuity, but I'm glad for them when things like this happen. Yeah. Um I agree. And I'm, I just kind of wonder, you know, with a line like that, like, we'll find each other again. What do you think it means? <laughs> I think that's just like a standard, like, goodbye. I, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know I don't, either. I don't know if the writers were really thinking of it in, like, terms of importance when they wrote that. I think that was, like, supposed to be, like, a goodbye. I but just not, agree. like, a real goodbye. I think when you write a show like this you every line has importance because you have to accomplish so much in so few episodes I just kind of wonder where Bellamy and Echo are going to go from here I genuinely don't think that they'll last this season um but I'm kind of curious if it's going to be a thing where like they're still family kind of like a Raven and and Finn from season one when Finn basically dumped her for Clark um you know like we'll always be family yeah I don't know it's a good question we'll have to see how this goes uh just a super quick note Monty and Echo together super cute they were adorable I loved it I loved it too and again super quick note because there's nothing to comment on why is Harper even in this scene (laughs) she does nothing there's nothing she She doesn't even have any dialogue no she's just standing there she She nods she had to come to set get all made up to stand what in the a background. Waste of money. I know. Honestly, if I were her, I'd be so pissed. I'd be so bored. Yeah. Yeah. 
Clark is packing, and when Maddie asks her what's wrong, Clark says they can't stay. She doesn't know what will happen when Octavia finds out the truth about Maddie's nightblood. Six years is a long time, and Octavia is not the same girl from the stories. But Maddie is horrified when Clark says they're going back to Dioza, who Maddie worries, worries will kill her. Clark tells her that they can't risk anything bad happening to her, but that if something happens to Clark, Maddie is to go find Abby. So Clark's mom mode has been activated to oh, yeah. the highest level. We are at DEFCON 1. <laughs> <laughs> there is no room to go. Uh, or so we think. Yeah. <laughs> it gets worse. Um, I also feel like Clark should have lied about her chances with Yoza. Like if somebody was like, but I'm worried they're going to kill you. I would have just been like, no, they're not going to kill me. Like, my God, man. I love that we're advocating for truth this whole episode. And then we're like, lie to her. <laughs> yes. Do what it takes to protect her. Like, but I honestly don't think it would have been a lie because I don't think Dioza would kill Clark. I don't think she would either. I mean, even if Dioza is would be threatened by Clark, which I'm not sure if she would be, but even if she would be, she wouldn't kill Clark because she would use Clark as leverage against Abby. Agreed. But, you know, whatever. whatever. <laughs> um, but this scene is so so touching and Maddie is so freaking cute I cannot get over how well Lola Flannery plays this like this innocent naive child perfectly like she she has that naivete but she's also like ornery and like cute and just she very clearly has her own ideas about things yeah I mean it's pre-adolescence and it's I think hard for young children to like act like this that's what I'm saying yeah it's really well done like she feels like a real fully fleshed out child yeah um and that's something that I don't think that we see very often no I agree I think it's great I also just have to point out Eliza Taylor's amazing acting in this scene with her voice quivering when she talks about Abby I mean that almost destroyed me I was it it was amazing I mean, when Clark cries, I cry. Yes. (laughs) It's real rough. Uh, McCreary and his crew search the cave where Murphy's signal is coming, but instead of Murphy, they find a bomb, which explodes. (laughs) Outside, Amori and Murphy sigh in relief, and then they kiss, although Amori tells them this doesn't mean they're back together. But they are interrupted by a burned McCreary, still alive, but in really bad shape, and Amori realizes that they now have a hostage. Which also delights them. Yeah. Only Amori and Murphy would be turned on by murder. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I do love all these scenes with Murphy and McCreary because I think McCreary is the person that Murphy would have become if he hadn't taken the steps to his own redemption after season one. I think it's a very clear parallel between them. And I think it's interesting to see them together in these scenes, especially when McCreary says things like, it's what I would have done. You know, you can very clearly see this is a version of Murphy that that could have happened in an alternate universe. I'm sure there is a version of him out there somewhere just like this. And I think it's even more interesting because McCreary seems to have taken Murphy's escape personally. <laughs> um, he's like hunting him like he's prey. Oh, yeah. And he has like entered his mindset, which I think is easy for him to get into because they are so similar. Um, so I just, I really enjoy all of these scenes of them together, particularly because Richard Harmon and William Miller, who plays McCreary, are really good friends in real life mm-hmm. and they're on vacation together and they keep I posting know, that. photos of them on the beach, like drinking they're with Eliza Taylor. Yeah, they're all together. So it's just really funny to see them on opposite sides, chasing each other around and pushing each other's buttons. Yeah. I think it's delightful. Blowing each other up. <laughs> yeah. 
Clark hears the Allegia ship approaching and tells Maddie it's time to go. She leaves the tent to see Bellamy and Echo kissing goodbye, and Clark watches them awkwardly for a moment until Bellamy notices her staring. She heads over and tells him that she and Maddie are leaving. Bellamy's shocked, saying that he doesn't understand that she doesn't understand. Before he can explain, Clark says that Dioza is the least of her concerns, that Octavia is dangerous. And then Clark realizes that Maddie has disappeared. <laughs> Clark frantic tells Bellamy they have to go find Maddie now. Right now. Right now. Um, so, so let's get into it. Yeah, let's do that. This is the main thing that I wanted to talk about this episode, and we've kind of touched on a little bit before, um, but Clark and Bellamy have some serious communication issues to work out. Yeah. They don't know how to be on the same page anymore. Or the Um, same side. Or the same side. Like, neither of them are letting the other in. You know, we see Bellamy doing his thing with his family this episode and Clark doing her thing with her family. And And the smart thing to do for both of them would be to include the other because they are always better together. And and they're they're angry at each other for doing the exact same, same thing. We see earlier when Bellamy is, like, trying to open his heart about his concerns about Octavia... And one crew to her, Clark is like, I got to go. Maddie's in trouble. And he's like devastated. And then later here, she's like, what? You're all, <laughs> what do you mean? You're all like, she, they're both angry at each other for doing the same thing that they each did. But I don't think they recognize no, that they're angry at they're, each other. They're not there yet. There's just this wall between them um, that needs to come down because they both, they need each other, you know, be it in a romantic sense or just like platonic soulmate sense they're better together and I don't like Clark I I think she's so isolated right now like she has having to make all of these decisions on her own for Maddie's safety and she needs help like she can't do it alone I need her it takes a village man I need her to let Bellamy in I need her to let Bellamy help them conversely Bellamy what the fuck were you sorry I I probably shouldn't curse (laughs) on this oh well sleep (laughs) what were you doing this episode like making these like huge plans and not including Clark who always should be included because she's the smartest (laughs) and also just because like it's not okay to leave her behind no she like died for you not really but you thought she died for you really and you (laughs) left her alone for six years and luckily she wasn't really alone but like she could have been I mean again they're they have work to do I just it's killing me that they have this separation between them and it's killing me in a good way because that means that we're going to have to have like a a grand emotional scene where they come back together like a breakdown it's going to be Hackledama part two. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm um, so ready for them. I'm assuming that will be episode eight when we've heard has a good Bellark scene. I just really need them to like air out all of their emotions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you felt this way, but I felt like Clark was like almost accusing Bellamy with Octavia where like as if his like enabling of her behavior has like led to this situation that they're currently in now. Like, and I think. I think she is mad at him for multiple reasons and the Octavia the Octavia branch is the easiest thing the to swing least at his of head, it. you know. Look. We make no we we never pretend not to be a Bellark fan. We ship we them. ship it really hard. We ship is what I'm bad. trying to say. But I always try to read things as logically as possible and not just like with my shipper lens. I cannot read this without a shipper lens here because that is what it's about. Yeah. She sees Bellamy and Echo together kissing, saying goodbye, 
It's not that she sees Bellamy with his family, not with all of them. It's with Bellamy and Echo specifically that we like awkwardly see her watching them for a long time. Until quite, he catches quite her. Quite jealously until he catches her. And then she kind of like looks away and then goes over to him. This is about that. Yeah. I don't think she recognizes it. No, no. And I think that's why she's talking about it in terms of Octavia and his complicity in that, whether you want to call it complicity or not, um, which I don't. But I, I do think there is something else going on here. And I, I think that it's just, she's jealous. It's jealousy. And it's like, I honestly think it's a little bit of betrayal. Yeah. Like, I don't think she really kind of got as close to that point as Bellamy was at the end of season four of the, like, I'm in love with you. But I think she was in love with him. And, like, even though they weren't together and she has no claim on him, seeing him with Echo, seeing him with, like, someone else, yeah, I, I think mean, upsets her. <laughs> I, I think that she correctly assumed that they were the clo- the most important slash closest person in each other's lives, that they, they had a connection that was beyond words. And I think it scares the shit out of her that he could be approaching that level of connection um, and significance with someone else, mm-hmm. regardless if it's romantic or not. Yeah. So I like it. And <laughs> I like she, seeing she, her. Like she this. misses him yeah. so deeply, just like we miss him because he's different. And like she knows he's different, and she can't quite understand how he got to be that person. Or like she knows logically, but like her emotional side isn't kind of reaching that level of no. understanding. So she just kind of feels like even though he's there, I still miss who he was and I miss who we were and I don't think they'll ever get that back not in the same way now hopefully they can become stronger in other ways um but they they have to talk to each other (laughs) we'll get there uh just quick question does Bellamy know that Maddie is a real nightblood I couldn't tell if if Clark hasn't even like let him in on that I don't think he knows yet I think that's like all part of this this bubbling situation there's this like tenseness that she's not being truthful with him he is not letting her in I understand that like I kind of am on I'm along those lines but then at the same time I feel like he has to know that Maddie's a real nightblood because Clark hasn't like mentioned she hasn't like lied to him about turning Maddie into a um a nightblood herself and I don't think that she would lie to him about that I don't think she's afraid of Bellamy in that way if it's come up I think he would just like assume that she's I guess I would just assume she was a real nightblood because again that's the only logical explanation Clark couldn't have made her a fake nightblood in time but anyway um it just kind of seemed like he had no idea about the Maddie issue (laughs) Echo and the other defectors start running for the ship, but someone starts shooting at them. Tariq is shot down, but Echo grabs Karina and keeps going. Clark realizes that she and Maddie have missed their chance to escape, and when the shots start, she and Bellamy follow where they're coming from to find Cooper behind the gun. Bellamy is furious because Octavia said to let the defectors go, but Cooper tells him that Octavia was the one who gave her the order. So, is this the point where Bellamy will finally say enough is enough? about Octavia or is like do we still have further to fall here we have further to fall I think at the end of the episode Octavia we see this kind of brushed aside and I think there will still be more to come that Bellamy disagrees with in the next episode to two episodes specifically I think we'll talk about the next episode's um synopsis very soon but 
it does kind of revolve around one crew's battle plans yeah. that I think Bellamy is, is not going to be okay with. Good point. Good point. Um, I also wonder, would Indra have made, or would Octavia had made this call if Indra was there to kind of advise her? Um, this whole episode, I've been thinking that because as we mentioned, Cooper really encourages Octavia's worst side. I kind of wonder if Indra had been there and if she'd been like in her, you know, healthy mind, if this whole thing would have played out differently. I have to believe that it would. I don't know how much sway Indra has over Octavia. I don't That's the know. question. Yeah. yeah. I don't know the extent of it, but I, I have to believe that it would have affected this in some way. I think Cooper brings out the worst in Octavia. And like we've been saying, Indra is the voice of reason. Yeah. Octavia is reading when Maddie comes in and says she needs to tell her something. Then we cut to the fighting pit where Octavia ceremonially inducts Maddie into one crew. Clark barges in, furious, but Maddie says that it's okay because Maddie told Octavia everything. Octavia tells Clark that she understands why Clark lied, but that Maddie doesn't need Clark's protection now because she has Octavia's. And before she leaves, Octavia says that Clark's secret is safe with her. This scene gave me so much anxiety. I still have anxiety about <laughs> this scene. I just, oh my god. Um, I, I was so furious. I was like viscerally upset when Octavia told Clark that Maddie didn't need her protection anymore. I, know. I was like, how dare you? How dare? Like this like possess it. I like didn't know that I had this in me. I it was like something inside broke. <laughs> um oh my god. <laughs> I will say I have never in all of, you know, the seasons of this show been genuinely afraid of Octavia until this moment. I've always kind of seen Octavia as like slightly ridiculous, but like really broken and damaged. Like I get it. But this is the first moment where I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. Like you are scary. Her smile at the end of this was horrifying. It was frightening. Um, I, she's scary, really scary. And And I, I don't know what she's capable of. And I don't know if we can come back. I don't know. That's kind of what I was I I know what you to. were referring to. I just haven't gotten to that point yet. We haven't seen her do anything unforgivable in Maddie's sense yet. That's true. So I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see how this plays out before kind of making any decisions. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, when we analyzed this scene from the trailer, I didn't think that Maddie um, was being manipulated by Octavia because I, I don't think that Octavia has ever really been in previous seasons a manipulative person. Um, but now that I have the context of this scene, it's very, very clear just how much Octavia's changed because this is one of the most manipulative, manipulative scenes that I've I've seen in this show. Like, oh, yeah. the way that she's playing both Clark and Maddie is just terrifying. Yeah, um, fast and, and, loose. and it's just like you can, you can see there's so many layers underneath what she's doing that we just can't quite um understand yet yeah I mean this is a true performance and she is performing to different audiences Mm -hmm. one Maddie and the other Clark and the way that she vacillates between those two personas um without ever you know missing a step is really terrifying I mean it's it's scary how good she is at this and it's cruel knowing how much Clark has come to love Maddie for her to use that as blackmail. I mean, it's a level of cruelty that I I haven't seen from her yet. Yeah. 
Maddie tells Clark that she knows she's mad, but Maddie told Octavia that she didn't want to be the commander, and she did it to keep Clark safe. Clark says that's her job. I'm the mom. <laughs> and Maddie just made it a whole lot harder. So, kind of given this scene, how are we feeling right now? Do we think that Octavia is, like, actively planning Maddie's untimely death? Or is she trying to, like initiate her so deeply into one crew that Maddie would never be able to rebel like how how are you seeing this I feel like Octavia is in true battle warrior mode right now and she needs to assess and like Maddie is a new threat a new opponent and she is assessing I don't think she's made a decision yet but I think she has maneuvered her into a place where she can be observed Mm -hmm. and judgment is reserved until she can decide whether she's going to be an asset or if she's just truly a threat I totally agree. Yeah. I don't think she's ready. I don't. I think that if she was planning on killing her, she would just kill her. So. And this is quite brilliant, making Maddie a member of Night Crew, of uh, One Crew. Um, just given that that means that she will fall under Octavia's rule in yeah. all things. And, and no one can question it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's also what Clark is so afraid of. Well, yeah. They don't have <laughs> freedom anymore. They're yeah. not free to leave like they were in mm-hmm. this episode. It's gone. It's gone. As Octavia leaves, Bellamy says they had a deal that Octavia would let the defectors go, but Octavia says she promised to let Echo go, and she did. Bellamy is horrified that she murdered her own people, but Octavia sees it as executing traitors. Plus, she had to make it look like a real defection, as Dioza would never believe that Octavia just let them go. And what's so scary about this scene is that she is 100% right. Yeah. Octavia... Or Dioza, you know, wouldn't have believed that Octavia would just, like, let her people leave. Yeah. Um, But the fact that she's right doesn't take away the horror of what she's doing. Yeah. I think you and I talked about this a little bit off um, off the podcast. But regardless of whether she's right or not, I think it's her motivations and her attitude about this. You know, if she had been conciliatory and had come to Bellamy and said, I don't, I want to spare them. But in the long run, this will hurt us more. I think there was a version of this that could have played out where it would have been forgivable um, or at least understandable. Her aggressiveness and her viciousness um, and her spite makes it as cruel and as shocking as it is. This was tactical, but also it was revenge. Right. Or punishment. There is a difference between necessity and and uh, revenge, as you say. And it was, well, want and need, you yeah. know? And this was both. Yeah. So. Uh, on the ship, the defectors are being frisked for weapons, and it's clear Echo's worried that they'll take the bracelet. Karina was shot, and Echo sets her on the ground, trying to stop the blood. When it's Echo's turn to be searched, they do take the bracelet, and then Dioza puts shock collars on all of them. As Dioza leaves, we get the reveal that Echo stashed the drive inside Karina's bullet hole. <laughs> so badass. Oh my god. Echo. <laughs> oh my god. That was amazing. That was a true Clark move right there. It was. It really was. Yeah. Um, I do want to point out that I like in this scene how... Dioza really does consider Kane her friend, but for the first time, I think this episode, Kane is now suddenly reevaluating what it means to be her friend and what it means to not be her friend. I think like her treatment of the defectors and their shot collar is shocking. 
pun intended to him well also in different ways her treatment of her own people um and the fact that she's kind of seems pretty willing to put them aside (laughs) yeah i think i think he's overwhelmed by her yeah as he should be um i also just wanted to note there's a weird look between echo and kane is that supposed to mean anything i originally asked you this and then you were like, no, it's just because they haven't seen each other in a really long time. I don't know. I don't know what this is about. I mean, I do think it's probably just like they know each other and they recognize each other. Um, the last time that Kane saw Echo was when Echo was banished. Um, that said, it was just like a, an odd moment. Yeah. So I didn't know if it was supposed to have any sort of external meaning aside from that. But yeah, I don't it know. might not. I don't know. So that was the episode. Let's move into some discussion points before we wrap this puppy up that's going on super long now. Sorry, guys. We have yeah, this is basically about. the same amount um, as all other ones. <laughs> they're all the same. Yeah. Um, I did really want to quickly point out the title of this episode, Exit Wounds. I think there are a lot of ways that this um, phrase is, can be applied and was applied and interpreted in this episode. And I just want to briefly touch on some of them. Um, did you want to talk about the first one? Well, yeah, I'll just say first that, um, you know, exit wounds can often be worse than the entry wounds because you're pushing something outward versus pushing something inward. Um, so that it can be more damaging to have, you know, an exit wound versus just if a bullet gets stuck inside. Um, and I think that only you would know that. That's not like a, anyway. It's a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> um, a- anyway, so I think that this kind of, the exit wounds title can refer to, you know, they lost a battle in the last, or a quote unquote battle in the last episode. Um, but the consequences of losing it are even worse than actually losing it. Um, and that's kind of what we see with the exit wounds here. Yeah, I completely agree. I love that interpretation. I also wanted to call out um, the very, I think, most superficial example of exit wounds in this episode is the defectors i mean they are literally exiting polis and one crew um and we see the repercussions of what happens when they do the literal wound in karina's body um (laughs) being the most literal interpretation of that um i also wanted to call out echo i think there is something to be said for the exit wound of her banishment um from one crew six years ago and the repercussions that you know that she's still the ramifications of that and the way that it affects her in this episode in particular um I think is really interesting and then well also just like her trauma from having been banished from her people yes exactly and the way that she has found new purpose and new value without completely giving up her old life but repurposing it in a way that she's comfortable with Mm -hmm is super super interesting and the last one of course is Nyla and Gaia because both of them have come out of this situation scarred from wounds that inside internal wounds um (laughs) in ways in which I don't think anyone could have anticipated and I think that is also a really interesting interpretation of of that idea yeah so just wanted to briefly run through all of those things since we didn't really touch on them at all in this episode. Yeah, we should definitely talk more about titles and how they reference themes in the episode. We kind of forget to do that a lot, but... It's because we talk about them off the podcast and then we forget that you guys haven't heard us talking about this for days. Um, So really quickly, do you want to go through our favorite lines really quick? Uh, Sure. 
my oh, oh go ahead oh my favorite line for this episode is the greatest victory is one that requires no battle which is a Sun Tzu quote as told <laughs> by Diosa. Um, and why I love this so much is just, as I mentioned, I think this line perfectly encapsulates who Diosa is contextually to us right now. Um, maybe there are some differences <laughs> buried deep inside, but we haven't seen those yet. Yeah, I agree. And this was also almost everything Diosa said all episode. In fact, I loved everything she said that I couldn't pick one of them as my favorite. So I went with the Amore quote. I find I found the family and purpose I didn't know I needed and you punished me for it. I've already spoken to why this is so important to me and I, I loved this line and it's just like a, a golden nugget of writing that I truly felt was was like uncovering a piece of truth yeah. in this episode and I loved it. I always thought the writing with Amori and Murphy and their relationship was spot on. If you go remember back to um season three, episode three, when Murphy was kind of addressing being sexually abused yeah um and how it was like it wasn't my choice like they, they just said they say so much by saying so yeah they're little. very economical with their yeah. words but they are packed with a punch mm-hmm. um what was your favorite scene uh my favorite scene was definitely the last scene when echo was a bamf i loved every i think i like yelled out when it that happened audible. <laughs> <laughs> it was really really loud but worth it i mean it was an amazing scene yeah um impressive to say the least. <laughs> My favorite scene, of course, was the Gaia and Nyla scene. I just, I was so stunned and impressed with this long con yeah. that the show has been <laughs> That the running. writers were. Yeah, I just like really genuinely didn't know if they could pull this off, but they did. I mean, this is amazing. Yeah. This is truly a feat. <laughs> um, so moving on to the next episode preview. In the next episode titled Acceptable Losses, which airs in two weeks, Clark and Bellamy make a startling discovery about one crew's plans as Echo risks her friendship with Raven to complete her mission. This is interesting to me, and I'm kind of, I'm especially curious about Echo and Raven and the way that that plays out. Does does Raven not realize that Echo's there on a mission? Um, or are, is Echo's mission kind of, uh, can, you know, like parallel or, or not, or uh, what's the other word? <laughs> Not parallel to what Raven wants. That was not smart. Perpendicular. Are they, are they like crossing it at poor times, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I'm really excited to see what that means. I, I also wanted to talk a little bit about acceptable losses and what is not an acceptable <laughs> loss, namely Maddie. Maddie is not an acceptable loss. <laughs> Maddie is not an acceptable loss. I don't think that that's going to be a problem next episode, but I'm just putting it out there. I mean, there. I mean, I definitely think that acceptable losses plays strongly into one crew's battle plans. I just don't quite know what yet. I agree. Could be that startling discovery. I agree, but I also think it's interesting with the idea of friendship and what you're willing to risk and lose with your friends. Yeah, it's it's all works. It all works, guys. The writing is great, and I'm really excited to to see Echo kind of on her own mission apart from everyone else. I mean, oh, she'll be yeah. with Raven, but like she's really like on her own right now. Yeah. And, and we've never seen that. Like, even when she was, like, a spy, I feel like she was always, like, really acting. I mean, I guess she still is acting under someone else's orders, but, but she I think feels... this is, like, Echo's... It's Echo's story. Yeah. In a way that it hasn't felt, yeah. like, directly owned by her yeah. um, before. I agree. So I am really excited to see that. That's our show, guys. Um, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That's S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. Please email us. We read all of your emails. You can also tweet at us at skycast 
on Twitter. Um, so please give us feedback and tell us what you agree with and what you don't agree with. Uh, uh, either one is fine. Either is fine. We all have different opinions. We like to argue. <laughs> we but do. It, it comes from a place of love. I uh, just, we genuinely enjoy arguing. It will never be like an angry sort of right. arguing. It doesn't come from <laughs> a, it only comes from a place of obsession. Um, you can also tweet at us on our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman89. And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. So thank you for joining us again on Skycast. We will be back in two weeks after the next episode airs. So until then, goodbye. May we meet again. May we meet again. <laughs> <laughs>